0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm joined by Dr. Hanno Sauer. He is Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Utrecht University. His main research interests are in moral psychology and empirically-informed metaethics. He is interested in whether and how we can bring empirical data from diverse disciplines, such as social psychology, neuroscience, or cognitive science, to bear on questions of normative and or meta-ethical interests, and what are the limits of this approach. Uh, he is the author of Moral Judgments as Educated Intuitions, Debunking Arguments in Ethics, and Moral Thinking Fast and Slow. So, Hanno, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show. It's a pleasure to everyone. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. So, uh, let's tackle perhaps first uh the things that I've alluded to in the introduction that yeah. is uh you are a philosopher but you are very interested in the scientific side of things I mean you draw a lot from literature coming from moral psychology social psychology so uh, I mean how do you look at the relationship between Philosophy and science when it comes to ethics and moral philosophy
1: yeah I guess um, for the longest time, there used to be a kind of um, felt hostility maybe and philosophers tried to stay away from empirical stuff and uh, and empirically working psychologists and, and people from other disciplines they were maybe um, skeptical towards um, philosophy and I think it's a great development that that has largely changed and i think the relationship between philosophy and psychology but also between philosophers and psychologists is much more productive and mu- much more constructive and much more of a, there's much more of an atmosphere of uh, people listening to each other and taking taking each other um seriously and i think uh that's the way it should be there are some um strengths that philosophers have uh but they also have some weaknesses uh, um, uh, methodologically. Uh, and there are some strengths that empirically working um, scientists have, psychologists, uh, neuroscientists, cognitive scientists, and so on, and so on. Um, and they also have some weakness, weaknesses, and they, they could just be, you know, cooperation for, for mutual benefit between these uh, these disciplines. Um, and I think the past twenty years have shown that that this can generate a lot of interesting um, um, re- research, and and one discipline can benefit maybe from the conceptual fine grainedness of the other, and the and, and and the other discipline can benefit from just the empirical input and the and the um, the foundation in 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 in, in actual um, data. So I think that's that's that, that's what's happening now. That's what's what's happening increasingly. Uh, And I think this has been a a pretty good development. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So still talking about that, uh, I mean, with the empirical data that we have nowadays and that science generates, do you think that, uh, I mean, to what extent should philosophers still speculate about our psychological nature, our moral nature, without being informed by science. Because I would guess that from an historical perspective, until very recently, that's what happened. But, I I mean, we can can probably say that most of that was speculation, sort of armchair philosophy. And, I mean, we could be for another 2,000 years continuing to put ideas uh, on the paper, but I mean, if, yeah. if it wasn't yeah. empirically informed, then we would never be sure about what was correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, um, the question is, you, uh, to what extent should philosophers still be be um, happy to, to continue as they used to in the, um, in the past? Uh, and I think very little. Mm. Not that there's no role to play for this kind of approach armchair philosophy, say, but I think um, that role should be relatively um, um, small. I mean, it used to be all armchair philosophy, right? Uh, yeah. or, um, or, or largely. But that was fine for, for a long time because there was no data, mm-hmm. on no, no actual empirical data and statistics and so on and so on, on how the mind works and, 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 you, and you didn't have imaging and you didn't have cognitive science and all these methods. So it was just of uh, the best that people could do. Um, but I think once you start having that data that's a development I guess that's that's you know began to emerge in the late 19th century but only really took off in the second half of the 20th century I suppose um, once you once you do have actual data then it becomes increasingly I think problematic to to just go on ignoring those I think there can be room for spec for, for, for speculation when it comes to, um, generating interesting hypotheses, interesting new ways of thinking, trying to remove um, <clears throat> fallacies or um, or, or um, um, problematic conceptions that, that also uh, um, um, taint the empirical research, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of, for instance, the homunculus fallacy, right, that people used to think that you know, there must be something that sort of sees the image that goes into into our sense organs um into our eyes <clears throat> but that's of course a conceptual um, fallacy and philosophers can help removing those so there's a role for that still um, but i think coming up with theories how how the how perception works how memory works in a way that, that 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 just flat out ignores and thereby encourage the risk of of getting it all wrong or straight up contradicting actual um, empirical data and studies. I think that's that's probably a thing that philosophers should stop um, stop doing. So, <clears throat> an an important task is when you come up with theories, in philosophy or psychology or, where, or wherever, um, to have a have a sense of, okay, which type of genre. Does this or that claim belong to? Is this a methodological claim? Is this a conceptual claim? Is this a normative claim? Is this a hypothesis? Is it a prediction? Or is it a thing that can be straight up tested with empirical observations? And once you have that distinction, you should test the empirical stuff empirically, and you should you know, sort of do what's right for, for each of these um, epistemic genres, if you, um, if you wish. Mm -hmm. But but I mean, many of the theories that philosophers come up with, again, about perception, about memory, about how motivation works and so on and so on, they just have a very, very large empirical side. And there you just need empirical data because we don't know, the mind isn't transparent to itself. The mind doesn't sort of automatically know how itself works. And so you need to look at it from the outside. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, maybe later on toward the last part of the interview, we will talk a little bit about uh, yeah. what is accessible to us in terms of our mind works consciously, of course. But before that, um, let's talk a little bit about the isot gap, because since we are talking here about the relationship between science and philosophy, I think that's a very important question. So when yeah. we talk about the isot gap, many people refer to David Hume. I don't know if before him there was somebody who who already talked about uh, this problem. But in science, we are trying to describe what the world is, in this case, how our minds work. And in moral philosophy and ethics, we are trying to Come up with uh, the best solutions to understand how we should deal with other people, how we should treat them, other animals as well. Nowadays, there are many people interested in that. So, I mean, is there any way to bridge this is-ought gap from a scientific or philosophical perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, in a, in a, in a technical sense, it's correct that you, there's no logical there's no there's no formally valid way to get from from purely descriptive premises to yeah. to a conclusion that has um normative content that's to, to a moral conclusion that's just the 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 you know hume's law the is-ought gap <clears throat> actually I I'm not a, I'm not a historian but I I'm I'm not aware that there is any statement of the is-ought gap preceding hume this may be largely because it was just taken for granted that nature nature was or the world was was just colored with normativity right it was it was, it was just inher- an an inherently normative world that people thought we inhabited uh, and it just took various intellectual developments in in in, in of, of modernity mm-hmm. to, to 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 appreciate that differentiation right that what's true isn't beautiful and what's beautiful isn't morally right and so on and so on so you get that differentiation of value spheres That's then, one one, one consequence of which is that, um, as Hume made clear, um, descriptive insights and normative conclusions are are, are always logically distinct. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean that um, scientific information and empirical data and descriptive statements are irrelevant Mm -hmm. to moral theorizing and political theorizing. These things can become relevant For instance, when you think about um, which types of um, ways of living together tend to be sustainable, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: So, for instance, when people people talk about, you know, which is preferable, you know, very crudely speaking, capitalism or socialism, Mm -hmm. right? People do refer to instances where either model has been tried in different cultures, different times, different places, with different people and under different conditions. And if one of these two models tends not to produce desirable results, now what's desirable and not, of course, that's not straightforwardly empirical, right? We just, you know, what serves human interests and what, what, what leads to peace, what leads to war, what leads to exploitation, what leads to... To uh, to cooperation and so on and so on. So these are not straightforwardly empirical, but in principle you bring in empirical data and and historical information to adjudicate this question. Um, and yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, we cannot derive normative premises from from well, the normative conclusions from empirical premises, mm-hmm. but we also never really get an interesting actual Prescription regarding what we ought to do without any knowing anything about the world, right? So mm-hmm. we always So what, what? 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 can I do now? What are the circumstances that I'm in? What kind of person am I? What's society around me? And all of these things bear on the question of what um, what we ought to do. So on the one hand, it's it, it's true that you know logically speaking there is no um, no straight line from descriptive premises to normative conclusions, but surely empirical information is very relevant in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of places when it comes to comparing just the plausibility of ethical principles um, and, 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 and social social political um, arrangements. So that's kind of how kind of how, I, how how I see it. but the empirical information comes in indirectly of course. Uh, it comes in indirectly when it, uh, when it comes to questions of how do people work, what makes them tick? Uh, What motivates people? How does their thinking work? And what's the kind of fit? What's what's a fitting way of living together? um, That 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 is suggested by that.
0: Yeah, Uh, I was just thinking that maybe I mean, with the same fact different people might arrive at very different conclusions or solutions about how they should treat for example a group of people so let's say that we look at other people and we notice that they are different from us for example in terms of race and historically some people got at the conclusion that okay so we should eliminate these people we should commit genocide against them we should imprison them etc we should should segregate them from us but and uh, on the other hand nowadays people uh, i mean it's politically incorrect to say that of course there are still racist people but uh, i mean we have with the same ease information let's say with the same fact that people are different from us we have another approach generally speaking that is we try to uh, befriend those kinds of people we say that they also have rights and things like that so i i mean perhaps i'm being a bit simplistic here but just to say that with the same empirical fact let's say People with different, I'm not sure if we should call it preferences or not, arrive at different conclusions. I mean, th- does this make
1: sense? Yeah, I mean, it, different people want different things. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there are different cultures, um, different ways of life, um, and, and, and and many, many forms of life can be um in people's interests, right? There isn't there there, there isn't there isn't one unique way um, of living that's that's the only way that's good for humans, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's perfectly arbitrary how people live. Some some ways of living tend to be tend to be preferable overall for um, for for um, a, a a larger number of people, um, but 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 there there are many ways of many um, many defensible ways of living um, um, together, um, but the cases that you've mentioned of you know, dehumanization and, and 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 segregation and so on and so on. I mean, that's another point where empirical information become normatively relevant because almost always in history, but also still um, still today, um, these forms of abuse and discrimination and so on and so on, people were um, were trying to justify these uh, kinds of treatments yeah. um, by making partly by making empirical statements about, mm-hmm. oh, these people are like that and we are like this and so on and so on and. The vast majority of these claims just turned out to be false right i mean there are differences between people but they are uh when you look at how large they could be they're actually pretty minor right uh, people you know human beings all over the world are, 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 are pretty similar to each other right mm-hmm. i mean there are cultural differences of course but in terms of you know the basic interests and fundamental values uh, people, people are, people are pretty much uh, um, um, the same, um, or differences are very minor. And so, you know, all sorts of sexist and racist um, discrimination and abuse and and mistreatment, and dehumanization, all the way to to genocide. These kinds of practices, they were usually rationalized, at least in part, by saying that oh, these people don't have certain abilities or. Or, or their psychology functions a certain way. They are inherently more stupid, inherently more cunning and evil, and so on and so on. And these claims just aren't correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another way, another important way, I think, for 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 empirical um, information or just the just just the the plain old truth, right, to have to have normative um, relevance on how we behave and how we treat each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So uh, we're going to talk about moral realism, and I guess that uh, this is a very important question to ask before we get specifically into that topic. So uh, in terms of meta-ethical theories, when we refer to that, we usually think about consequentialism, deontologism, virtue ethics, and other theories like that. I mean, I'm not sure if this is right, but I I read lots of uh, books on ethics and moral philosophy. And uh, I have this intuition, let's say, that at at a certain point, when philosophers are trying to argue why we should adopt a particular uh, meta-ethics in our life, let's say, uh, that uh, they always arrive at a point where uh, they rely on some sort of intuition of theirs. So let's say they are arguing for a particular thing, and and there's always a point to me it seems where they simply say, okay, so uh, this is preferable to that. And, uh, I, I mean, there's a certain point where it seems that they can, long, they can justify their position further. Let's say they simply have to accept that this is the best way to do things or this is the wrong way to do things. And that's how it is. I mean,
1: th- does that make sense? Yeah, that's the way it is. But I don't really think that's a problem. I think mm. I, I think it's, you know Wittgenstein says at some some point you know all knowledge bottoms out in intuition at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can you can keep going back asking for more reasons and more support um, uh, for whatever you your your, your claims are, but yeah. I mean it must it must come to an end somewhere, right? There must be there must be a point where you reach that rock that bends yeah. back back the spade. Um, so um, it's true that ultimately when you argue about you know these. The theories that you've mentioned deontology and, and consequentialism and the various versions of that and so on and so on, and so on yeah. ultimately people will, will just will just say that well that just seems plausible to me mm-hmm. right uh, yeah. And if you ask me if you ask me uh-huh. well well why why, why why should we be why, why should we promote happiness mm-hmm. people often say that well I, 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 I don't know what to respond <laughs> that's, that's just a you know that's just a basic proposition to me. Um, um, but I think that reaction is fine. Um, there must be some point where we just say, well, well, that just seems overwhelmingly plausible to me. Do you have an actual specific reason why I should doubt that? Right. Can you give me a reason why I, why I should think that, um, it's fine to abuse people's rights or, or or it's fine to harm them without good reason? Can, can, why should I, why should I doubt that? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and usually there isn't like an actual specific reason that people have. They just think that, well, how do you people just say, well, how do you know that, right? But there's just sort of an um a naked, unsupported um um challenge to this uh, to, to this idea. And I think such challenges can be basically dismissed. Um so it's fine, also in in in, in ethics, as we do it in in in, in any discipline, in, in in any knowledge domain, it's fine to arrive at those um <clears throat> Intuitions that we that, that 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 carry the rest of the of the justificatory chain. There just there's just no alternative to that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean we are I d I I don't know where exactly we we inherited this picture, but there seems to be this strong desire to um to to build all our knowledge on on some sort of foundation, right? So Descartes mm-hmm. called this the, the Archimedean. Um, uh, a point some sort of foundation that is just that, 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 that once we find it we can we can build all of our knowledge on that one foundation right mm-hmm. and that foundation must be rock-solid it must be indisputable it must, must be once you once you appreciate what that foundation is you will immediately be compelled to believe it right mm-hmm. there's no there's, no, there's gonna be no disagreement on that foundation and so on and so on. and I just don't think such a foundation is needed nor that it's possible Um, By by the way, that is possibly one reason why
0: uh, until enlightenment, at least, people relied a lot on God and uh, on attributing certain uh, facts or values to God. That's how things are, because God says they should be this way.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, um, amazingly, people didn't realize what an absolute... Absolutely useless way of, 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 of solving that problem is by just, by just, by just you know, you, you have this question of, well, how does knowledge work and what's the foundation of our knowledge? And in order to explain that in a satisfying way, you just come up with this enormously incredible hypothesis, right, that there is this, this, this unintelligible, um, entity. perfect entity that, that somehow sorts it all out. So I mean, this is this makes the problem worse, right? Yeah, it, it, like it, like it gives you an extra problem um, uh, because that's that's that 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 makes things more difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's a solution. But you're right that probably d- the desire to find some sort of foundation is m- may lie behind um, um, the fact that people came up with um, with a kind of oh, it all it all comes down to um, to God in the end. And I think we must we <clears throat> uh, p- part. I mean. I mean Partly, a big accomplishment of of modernity was that we just that we slowly and in a piecemeal fashion warm up to the idea that we just don't have a foundation like that right we are we are we are we are afloat at sea and we need to rebuild our knowledge um, with stuff that we that we've brought with us right there's no going back to the dock there's no rebuilding our knowledge from scratch we are rebuilding it from within with material that we uh, that we already have on board or with maybe you know driftwood that we pick up um, um, here and there and that's the end of it um, and <clears throat> yeah there that, that, that just there that just isn't that kind of foundation for um, for for knowledge of any kind, so I think it's not a, it's not a particular problem for um for moral theory mm-hmm. that we don't have you know that kind of rock-solid um, foundation that is just immediately compelling uh, um, for, for 100% um, of people. We, we, we don't need that kind of foundation.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we are talking about the ethics and moral philosophy, but uh, that also applies, as you're, um, as you're saying, to other areas, like, for example, science, right? Because, yeah. I mean, we rely... On the premise that what we study through an empirical approach is what corresponds to reality. But someone could just come in and say, "Okay, so I don't care about uh, empirical approaches. I don't think that those are really good models of reality and could just simply dismiss the entire enterprise of science only on that basic premise. right?
1: Yeah, you could do that, but it wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. Uh, and, and it's again, in science, you also have, you know, you, there are science works because there are actual scientists and they are in places uh-huh. and they work with devices, mm-hmm. often big machines. Right. And, you know, in order to do science, you need to you need to be able to, to trust yourself that you can read the display on the machine. Right. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of numbers like digital numbers and you know, you, you, you must be able to, to, to see them. And scientists don't question that. right? That you can, you know, that the clocks work and, 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 and so on and so on. Um, so here, too, there is an unquestioned, there are many, many unquestioned assumptions mm-hmm. that go into the very possibility of if even doing science in the first place. Now, mm-hmm. everything, of course, is in principle up for grabs. If you're giving me a good reason why I should doubt this or that, I'm happy to, Right. Uh, but sure. it remains true that we cannot, we, we cannot question everything all at once, even though we may be able to question each proposition um, one at a time. And that should be encouraged, right? Once you can give me a good reason to, to, to doubt anything I believe, um, yeah. great. Um, that's how progress uh, um, um, happens. But I don't, I, I, think the, I don't really think that any, any radical, skeptical scenarios either about knowledge in general or about moral knowledge, are really um, um, workable. Mm -hmm.
0: So uh, let's talk now about moral
1: realism.
0: Because that's uh, another very important question, and particularly since we are here interrelating science with philosophy, I get that it's even more relevant today. So, uh, could you tell us what moral realism is about, and if there's any account of moral realism that uh, keeping science in mind still holds water today?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, moral realism just means that there are some uh, moral facts that obtain whether or not any individual or group believes in them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just moral realism is just the view that, 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 that there are some objective, mind independent moral facts. Yeah. Almost always, moral realists also say that <clears throat> moral knowledge is possible. Mm-hmm. So they say that there are these moral facts and we can know some of them even though, very strictly speaking, that's not part of moral realism, even though it almost always accompanies the other claim. Um, um, But you could be a moral realist and think we have no idea what morality requires simply because, you know, you're also a skeptic. Um, So you you think that we have no moral knowledge, even though there are these moral facts. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are objective-mind independent facts. Now, I used to think that that theory is... Basically, a kind of superstition, mm-hmm. right? I used to think that that's like that's an obscure uh, view that's that's long been discredited. Maybe that's due to my you know philosophical upbringing um, in, in, in 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 Germany, where that was just the um, the received view was that you know we we we, we cannot philosophize anymore by taking a certain metaphysical view of the world, right? Uh, There's no objective spirit that that structures the world, as Hegel said, rather we must do philosophy under so-called post-metaphysical conditions where certain metaphysical premises just aren't really credible uh, anymore. And the idea of moral realism was one of them. So you either could be an error theorist or you could be uh, um, any other kind of moral skeptic or you could be a constructivist. In meta-ethics, right? So that's what I what I thought for um, for a long time. Um, but then there's been this relatively recent revival of moral realism in the in the um, Anglo-Saxon philosophical scene. And <clears throat> now I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, I, I, I I'm not a, I'm not a moral realist. I mean, I don't believe that moralism is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still find it hard to believe. But I'm taking it. Seriously, and, and there are there are many excellent arguments for moral realism, and there are many, um, and and actually the, the arguments against moral realism they turn out I think to be much weaker than um, uh, than people um, used to think they are. So I'm 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 on I'm I'm it's a position that I take seriously, but I still find it hard to believe. Just as a psychological confession, so to speak, right? Yeah. Uh, no arguments so far, but um, that's how I that's sort of my hunch when it comes to moral realism. Mm
0: -hmm. Doesn't it depend also a little bit on how we define moral facts? Because, I mean, just to go again back to science, we have these empirical facts in science. I mean, the knowledge that we arrive through an empirical approach, but moral facts wouldn't have to correspond to something as uh, an empirical fact, right? I mean, it's not something, it's not that there are moral facts floating around there like there are atoms in the universe,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. well, well, there are different versions of moral realism and some versions of moral realism do say that. Mm -hmm. So basically, there are naturalistic versions of moral realism and non-naturalistic. My impression is that the naturalistic version used to be more popular, maybe 20 years ago or so, and now increasingly the main voices in the moral realism literature, the, 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 the main moral realists today, they tend to be non-naturalistic moral realists. And they think that there are actually two kinds of things in the world. Yeah. Natural things, that can be, you know, living things and molecules and, 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 and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is a whole other kind of thing which is non-natural facts, and the moral facts are part of that realm, mm-hmm. right? So it's just a fact that you shouldn't torture people for fun, right? But that's a fact that sort of has has a, has a separate, independent ontological status in the world, and it doesn't reduce to any natural facts. Now there are other types of moral realists who think that no, 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 the moral re- the, the moral facts are just uh, uh, <clears throat> we can we can. You know, since the, the, the technically speaking, synthetically identify them with certain with certain natural facts. So, for instance, um, you ought to produce um, um, the 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 greatest balance of pleasure over pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what that is, that that can be in principle studied with with empirical methods, right? You just you just sure. you just you just find out, or oh, you know, when if I stick that into you, does that hurt, and so on and so on. So, this is in principle amenable to observation. To observation and some moral realists think that we say things like oh that's right or that's wrong but really um, these statements ultimately boil down to facts about um, human interests and and, uh, and, and, uh, and 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 things that are in principle um, open to empirical corroboration and um, and disconfirmation so there are these two camps uh, in, in 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 the moral realist um, um, literature and uh, uh, I well, I'm not convinced by either of them, but 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 uh, um, uh, but I think these are these are these are both viable theories that deserve to be taken seriously.
0: Yeah. So one very important discipline, scientific discipline that we have nowadays that tackles how our mind works and how it evolved is evolutionary psychology. Mm-hmm. i have many evolutionary psychologists on the show. And when it comes to our moral nature, it seems that we've evolved different kinds of intuitions that we apply in different contexts. Some of them seem to be more agent-neutral, others more agent-centered. Like, for example, when we think about things like kin selection, reciprocal altruism, maybe group selection even. But uh, so if we have these... Confl- sometimes conflicting intuitions that are uh, both part of our evolved repertoire. Uh, does evolutionary psychology force uh, forces us uh, forces to accept moral relativism?
1: No, I think the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, if anything, um, <clears throat> evolutionary psychology supports the view that there are. Basic human interests and basic fundamental human values that we all share um and it almost couldn't be otherwise, right because we share most of our evolutionary history yeah. um, and it's very plausible that um that many of our values and and moral attitudes and and norms and and our ability to cooperate mm-hmm. um, very plausible that these things have An evolutionary explanation Mm -hmm. Um, so I I don't think that um, moral relativism is supported by evolutionary psychology I I, I think the opposite um, is much more plausible Um, and and there's now an increasing amount of evidence suggesting that just descriptively speaking moral relativism is just false Uh, there are no fundamentally divergent um, values. Of course, there are very different societies, and there are very different cultures, and people have, people's all things considered, moral beliefs. They are very, very different, right? Some mm-hmm. people believe abortion is murder. Some people believe that abortion is, you know, a a, a woman's right to control her own body. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think female genital mutilation is 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 required. Some people think it's abhorrent, yeah. and so on and so on and so on. So there are, of course. Obviously, there are moral disagreements at that level, but I don't think that ultimately they reflect um, ev- differences in our evolved um, um, values. These fundamental values, they, they, they must be the same, ultimately, simply because we are the same kind of um, – we, we, well, in a way, we share a human nature. mm mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you
0: think that on the basis of evolutionary psychology, even if moral relativism is a bit on shaky grounds, let's say, we yeah. at least could build a case against the existence of moral facts? I, I mean, because I was just thinking that since the way we uh, value things, we evaluate things Uh, is the result of the conditions we're exposed to during our evolutionary history and uh, the way our mind evolved. I mean, we probably have our moral facts, let's say, but other animals, other living beings would have another set of moral facts. I mean, the ways they interact with one another. So, I mean, these, in a sense, would break down moral realism, at least the version that uh, deals with moral facts uh, as if they were uh, empirical facts.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very um, mature and rich debate in philosophy Mm -hmm. and and evolutionary psychology that's currently ongoing. So I think the jury is still out on whether or not, what, what, what 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 the final answer is. And if you know the history of philosophy, then you know that you know that there's, there's not going to be a final answer. People are going to be, people are going to get bored by this debate and then move on. Um, so, I mean, in principle, it could be that evolutionary psychology could at least um, provide grounds for moral skepticism. So that's mm-hmm. the that's the sort of um, that now the classic evolutionary debunking argument, uh-huh. right, is if there are these objective mind-independent moral facts out there, but if, if our moral beliefs of the values that we have, that we actually have, if those values have been shaped by evolution, but evolution doesn't care about these moral facts that are out there, right? Evolution cares about what works in terms of fitness, right? Evolution cares about basically just... How many copies of your genes do you get into the next generation? Mm-hmm. Right? And if that's what that's if, if if that's what 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 evolution cares about, and if evolution is the mechanism um, that that has shaped in in, in in very fundamental ways the things that we value and think are morally right or wrong, then it's highly unlikely that we get these. That we, that we sort of by accident stumble upon these um, objective, mind-independent moral facts um, in the world. That's how the evolutionary debunking story works. It's, kind of, it's, it's kind of an update to uh, a, a, a kind of Nietzschean genealogy of morality with modern methods, right? So Nietzsche also thought that our, our values of, you know, of, of, of um, um, discipline and empathy and compassion and equality, they have this ugly history... Mm-hmm. right um born out of resentment and 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 the slave revolt immorality and so on and so on. and if that's the history of our values we have no reason for thinking that these values are correct right, right. so with 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 the with monkey arguments is like that it's that evolution doesn't go for moral truth it goes for very crudely speaking you know survival and fitness um, and uh, uh, and so there is this disconnect um, so that argument may work. Uh, like I said, there is a very, very active debate still going on. That's very, very deep and detailed right now. on What are exactly the epistemological principles that you need to assume to make this kind of argument work? What are the options? Should we? Should we? Should we? Um, if we have a different account of how our values evol- evolved, maybe that works. Maybe we can go for a different version of moral realism to diffuse the problem. Uh, maybe we can be happy to be moral skeptics and we'd become fictionalists or something. Um, all kinds of solutions to um to this basic problem uh, so I, I think in principle um telling a story about the origins of our values can have ep- an, a, an epistemic impact on 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 how confident we are that these beliefs are um are true at the end of the day i 'm more inclined to believe that um There is a very tight connection between what's, it's, it's, it, it, you know, it's, not, it's, it's, it, it's not, it's not, it's not a perfect connection, but it's a very tight connection, I think, between what, um, what, what, morality demands, mm-hmm. and what, um, um, and how we evolved. Mm-hmm. So I do think our values are grounded in an evolutionary story. And it's no accident that uh, that we value certain things and not others. This is this is surely an evolutionary heritage, both from biological evolution, but also more recently from from cultural evolution. We look at the past, maybe five hundred thousand years and and or, or past ten thousand years, perhaps. So, relatively speaking, shorter time spans. Um, um, so, so, so yeah, I do think our moral. Attitudes and norms are an evolutionary heritage from bio, biological and cultural um, evolution. But I also think that um, there's just no alternative to that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, it's, it's, I mean, one of the premises in the debunking literature is, is that, well, in principle, you know, our moral values could be anything, right? It could be that the best thing to do is, I, mean, I think the, the frequently used example is, uh, uh, maybe, you know, the, 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 the morally best life isn't to be, to be nice and helpful and, 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 uh, and cooperative. Maybe the morally best life is to do some silly thing, right? To count blades of grass all day or to, or to jump up and down um, and, 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 just, and, and just behave in bizarre ways. But we wouldn't know it because, because our values come from, come from evolution. And I think that's an important premise that plays a big role in this argument. And I think that premise just doesn't make sense. Right, there's there is sort of a a, um, a, a relatively n- narrowly constrained space of of what 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 the subject matter almost mm-hmm. of morality is, um, and 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 morality must be something that 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 has a connection to human flourishing and human. Ways of living together, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not true that well, in principle, uh, uh, m- morality could be about anything, anything logically possible, right? And we and, and it's been sort of, and we can we can pretend that we don't know what, what 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 moral concerns are, and uh, and whether the actual moral concerns are these bizarre things. I just don't think that's um, that's plausible um, um, to begin with. Um, morality is about how do people flourish? How do they thrive? How, the, how do, do they live together in a functional sort of way? Uh, uh, I, I, and that, that's just, that's just what, 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 what morality is about. Um, and we, we think that that's what it's about largely because we evolved a certain way, but, um, but, but, but that's what I mean by it, there is a tight connection between what morality is about and, 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 and our evolutionary history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting. And I guess that another argument that we could derive from evolutionary psychology, particularly if it's true that we have these sort of human moral universals and in all human societies we find a common basis for morality, let's say, yeah. is that um, maybe what is morally true is what works for us i mean because from an evolutionary perspective if, if we have evolved these moral intuitions maybe that's what leads us to act in a way that is conformant with let's or conforming with uh, how we interact with the world yeah. around us, with other people, and that's what works for us as humans. Probably for other species, it's different, but I mean, it still works, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I wouldn't say. I mean. I I'm, I'm, maybe. I'm. 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 I'm still not. Well, I'm still somewhat unsure about. How much of a functionalist I guess about morality I am but I think that there, there must be a, a, a tight connection between as you put it between what's moral and what works in a way mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that whenever we have something that works for me or for the of you or for this or that group that automatically m- makes it makes it all things considered morally justified right mm-hmm. often what works and what's right can come apart but in principle, there must be this fundamental connection that morality pays for itself in the, in the currency of um, a functional way of living together. Uh, um, uh, and, and, and morality pays for itself in the currency of flourishing and, 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 and mutually beneficial cooperation. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess I was thinking more along the lines of a pragmatic approach to things, because pragmatists sort of hold this view that, I mean, truth is what works is, I mean, I, I behave in a certain way. And if it produces good results, then that has a truth element to it, let's say, instead of simply trying to find what's out there in the world. But there's this sense that by interacting with the world and see what it works and what doesn't, we, al- we yeah. also get
1: at some sort of truth about yeah. how yeah. the world works. Um, I mean, like I said, I think to a large extent that's true. Um, but the connection between what works and what's true or what works yeah. and what's moral isn't perfect, right? I mean, right. it can be great for me to believe that I don't have cancer, but it doesn't make it true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all kinds of counterexamples of beliefs that, uh, um, that, that are pragmatically justified but mm-hmm. but, but are incorrect. Um, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that ultimately an important part of the criterion we have or, or an, an important element of the set of criteria that we have for determining whether something it's true is is true either descriptively true or morally true an important part of the set of criteria for us to determine that has a pragmatic flavor right mm-hmm. um and what's what's it's very relevant also for establishing scientific scientific truths uh, yeah. whether something works right does mm-hmm. an experiment work does a measurement work can i build a bridge with it right mm-hmm. All of these things right. are, 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 they're not the final word, and they're not the only word, but they are very relevant for establishing scientific truths. And I think the same goes for, um, for moral truths as well. Um, an important test of what the morally right thing to do is, or an important test of what a good way of setting up society and systems of cooperation is, is that they work. Mm-hmm. Right that right. that people want to live this way that that, that that people copy this way of living that people want to migrate to this society that this society thrives in, um, in, 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 in in economic terms in the arts in science and so on and so on all of this is a test of whether or not a society is um, is it, it, based on a morally good arrangement right mm-hmm. It's it's not that you know, might makes right. It's not that you know the the, the sort of the, the, the pure success of a society is the only or final word on what's morally required. But it seems it, it, it seems almost conceptually incoherent for me to think that there could be a society that's morally perfect but completely dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. That seems to be. The, the, uh, uh, inconceivable that this that this is sort of um conceptual a conceptual impossibility, so there must be a relatively tight connection between what's morally right and what um what what's what's good for people mm-hmm. and what works yeah so uh, let's explore all the other
0: challenges in meta ethics. So, we've already talked about moral realism, a little bit about moral relativism. What about moral nihilism, and what's your take on that?
1: Um, So, nihilism would be the idea that um, there are no values, right? So, whenever we think that a certain certain thing is morally right or wrong, we are just mistaken. And um, the world is just normatively inert, and it doesn't contain these values that... Um, that we think it contains. and we, Maybe we, we are just projecting them or it's just some, some sort of prejudice or just a feature of our psychology. Um, here, too, I think most of the reasons for nihilism are not very plausible. They are, they are I'm, I'm inclined to say, often a bit sophomoric, uh, they're often uh, a bit like well you know it could be that 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 everything's permitted and so on and so on um, uh, how do you know that that that, that anything's right or wrong um, and and I don't I, I don't find the sort of the 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 the, 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 the um, usual road to nihilism um, very very compelling um, I mean on the other hand it's 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 important to emphasize that if nihilism is true then that's fine right okay. uh, because according to nihilism there there are no problems right <laughs> uh, so if 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 nihilism is true then 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 by that token there's no problem with that because because nihilism says that there's, there, if nihilism is true, then there are no values in light of which it would be it would be a, a, a catastrophe that nihilism is true. So um, I'm sort of re- relaxed about um, um, about the possibility. I mean, I guess there is this existential sense in which nihilism is true, which is that in a in in the relatively near future, all of this will be forgotten and 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 none of it will will have any ultimate relevance for the, mm-hmm. for the for the for the for the destiny of the universe right mm-hmm. so if that's what people mean by nihilism is that people are fi- that that people and things are are finite and that uh, and that what we do makes no difference on a, on a, on a cosmic scale
0: mm-hmm.
1: then i i think well that's just true right um we are, we are, you know, we are just a kind of like I mean, Schopenhauer said we are just a kind of mold on this rock, in the universe, right? Right. But uh, but that's the end of it, uh, uh, and and relatively soon this will all end, uh, and will, and and, will um, uh, and, and and in a way nothing will have mattered. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter for, for us now, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that's where that's the that's the sort of the right scale at which. Uh, we should we should look for um, for values. And I just don't think that there is anyone who who is serious about nihilism. Mm. right I mean it's 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 a fancy possibility that people like to entertain, maybe to um, to get that pleasant um, shudder uh, that you get also when you watch like a horror film or something like that. you know you are safe. Oh uh, in your, in your own home, but you watch these gruesome things on the screen and people, I think people, 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 people watch, you know, or people entertain nihilistic thoughts like that. Actually, there are, they are fine in, in, you know, sitting at home in their morality, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, they, they watch, you know, nihilism or entertain nihilism as a possibility just because it makes, it, 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 it gives you this pleasant feeling of, of epistemic vertigo. Um, but I'm 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 going to start taking nihilism seriously when uh, when you show me a nihilist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, show me an actual person that lives that, that, that that doesn't appreciate any differences between better and worse and good and bad and right or wrong. Mm-hmm. In the in the overwhelming majority of their waking life, right? Mm-hmm. Show me a person like that, and then I'll start um, taking it seriously. Yeah, but
0: a nihilist, a moral nihilist would not necessarily be an a moralist.
1: No, mm. no. It doesn't have to be a bad person, mm-hmm. right? But um, I would suspect that believe, actually genuinely believing that nihilism is true would make a difference to your behavior.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you think that it doesn't actually make a difference to your behavior, then it's even more puzzling why why the question should be relevant, right? So you're saying me that there are no moral values whatsoever, that this thing that people care so passionately about doesn't actually exist, but it makes no difference whatsoever to your behavior, then why should I care, right? So, um, you know, show me uh, someone who lives nihilism or who really, recognizably, um, behaves differently because that person doesn't believe in the values that you and I believe in, mm-hmm. or um, if 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 there isn't such a person because it makes no difference to people's behavior, then I just don't see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. So, so i again, I'm 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 relaxed about that possibility, um, but there is a sense in which I think that nature doesn't care about what happens to us. Um, I don't think there is a god. That cares about us either. Um, This is all finite, and 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 even if we if we if if we go around torturing and murdering people and animals and so on and so on. In a way, this will there there is a sense in which this won't matter a billion years ago, right? So, but 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 I think that's 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 a different question from what what matters here and now for Mm -hmm. um, um, for us. And so, the nihilistic um, hypothesis i think doesn't really it doesn't really um make make a big difference i think to uh um, to to actual people mm-hmm.
0: yeah so let's talk about other challenges what
1: is the anti rationalist challenge well um i mean there are different forms of anti-rationalism right so there's sort of uh, post-structuralist uh, anti-rationalism or you know, anti-rationalism has has um, um, a, um a distinguished pedigree also in the in in, in, in critical social theory mm-hmm. frankfurt school they were skeptics about about rationality because they thought sort of following max weber and sociology that when rationality spreads as a way of organizing society bureaucratically and 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 um, and, and yeah well in very rational ways bad things happen right so sort of at you know the natural end of, 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 of designing society in a rational way is rational mass murder in concentration camps right so there is that line of anti-rationalism and there are many many others um, um, in, in 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 moral psychology uh, uh, um, the main version of anti-rationalism is that um, actually when we look at how people arrive at their moral beliefs it turns out that reasoning doesn't play a big role. Usually people have like a gut reaction. uh, Oh, that seems wrong or that seems right or that seems yucky or that seems appealing. And then they, uh, uh, um, you know, the the verbal reasons that they produce are a post hoc rationalization. Sometimes they are even confabulatory. They are literally made up. Um, and so it's 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 almost always that's the idea of of anti-rationalists. It's almost always this um, um, effectively charged intuition that determines the moral judgment, and the reasoning stuff is this froth that comes um, after the fact and is sort of being 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 put forward to to rationalize our intuition, uh, but it doesn't really make a causal difference to uh, the to the moral beliefs that we hold.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that idea that maybe sometimes, and particularly when we're talking about uh, immoral actions at a collective scale, like, for example, we can think about the the Nazis and the communists in in Russia, for example, uh, last century. Uh, I mean, there's that idea that maybe people want to do something to other people and then they come up with a, a justification or an explanation after yeah. the fact that sounds good or sounds plausible to justify their behavior.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that is very common, right? Um, so there is a, there, there is a sense in which anti-rationalists in moral psychology describe a case that happens troublingly often, mm-hmm. right? So it's just true that, I mean, and there is, there is interesting literature by, uh, on, on moral disengagement, for instance, by Al mm-hmm. Bandura and other people, showing that we, we often use our, our capacities of reasoning mm-hmm. to excuse bad behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, we want to do th- something, we, want to, we just hate a group of people, and we want to kill them and take their stuff yeah and so we just come up with a justification oh they're not really people right they're not they they are they are disgusting vermin and so it's fine to to exploit and 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 abuse them mm-hmm. um, but so, so 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 that's right uh, it's it's just correct that in many cases maybe even in the majority of cases mm-hmm. moral reasoning comes after the fact and in a troublingly large amount of cases we use moral reasoning for self-serving ends right mm-hmm. because we want to make ourselves look good because we want to um justify our bad behavior or selfishness uh, and so So that's correct but i don't think that as it stands now the the available evidence um suggests that um that moral judgment is never impacted by, by moral reasoning.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it also could be that sometimes or most of the time even because we don't have direct access to, for example, the motives behind our behavior because it occurs mostly at the subconscious level. Yeah. Perhaps people act and then when they are asked for a reason why they did something like they did. Maybe they just say what they acquired culturally from other people. Yeah. I mean, they say something that sounds good to the uh, to the people that are part of the same
1: culture. Yeah, yeah. They, they come up with something with some plausible-sounding story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, again, to a large extent, I don't really see or I've, I've, I've kind of lost the ability to see that as a huge problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that that well, that's just how reasoning works. Mm-hmm. Mostly we run our, 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 our mind runs on intuition. Yeah. And sometimes we switch on deliberation mode. Mm-hmm. And we come up with a justification for our intuition. But when we do that, we don't really identify the the actual causes that uh, that 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 brought us to believe something. Mm-hmm. We come up with a plausible justification for, and often that justification will be actually plausible. Right? Mm-hmm. Often we actually do cite good reasons that 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 do justify mm-hmm. our belief. But of course, um, you can. You can drive a wedge between the intuition and the reasoning and trick people into generating mere rationalizations or Mm -hmm. or um, or, or, or post hoc narratives that uh, that that where where that mechanism fails Mm -hmm. right so this, this interesting example of you know choice blindness studies where you get people to you know report their beliefs maybe on a flip chart uh, and, um, <clears throat> and then you um, ask people to justify their moral beliefs, right, mm-hmm. about, about trade-offs between life and death and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of moral issues. And if you use a trick that makes people believe that they, that they said the opposite of what they actually said mm-hmm. earlier, people still generate these justifications for the opposite of what they actually said. Right. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's that's that, that's that's I mean, that's an interesting finding. But in a way, that's just you know, you, you're just tricking people. Um, they you, 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 they have no reason to think that they are being tricked. Um, and, and, and you give them, you know, a certain type of evidence um, that they can use to 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 figure out what they believe, namely that they wrote it down five five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you're actually tricking them about what they what they did write down. And so people switch on this justification mode uh, and then it and then it starts to look silly and, and and bizarre but I think from 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 I mean these are interesting studies right. uh, and these studies tell us what the kind of evidence is that people rely on even when it comes to figuring out what they themselves think right yeah. uh, I mean we, we, we touched on this earlier we just don't have immediate access mm-hmm. to what we believe it's not like there are your beliefs are not like marbles that are in our head and we can sort of see oh that's a marble that i have and that's a marble that i have and we sort of see what that is um, sorry there are we need we need indirect ways of figuring out what we believe and we rely on all sorts of evidence maybe we have a memory that we once said something or we wrote something down or Or um, our partner tells us that that's what we believe, or we have a feeling that we believe something but there are all kinds of you know external environmental types of evidence that we use to figure out what we believe or we look at our behavior um, and, 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 and and we try to make sense of that evidence by, by, by producing these you know, these justifications but I think that's just how reasoning works and there's no fundamental problem um, with that once you get rid of that that idea that um, we need, that Once you get rid of that I, that, 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 temptation to think that um, in order for the mind to work the way we want it to work, it needs to be really transparent to itself, right? Mm-hmm. There it needs to be this pure subject that mm-hmm. is in our, in our brain somewhere, right? I don't know where, but, you know, this pure essence of subjectivity that must be transparent to itself once you think that no, I don't, we don't need that, right? Um, that's just not how cognition works. Um once you get rid of this image, um you just start well you you just start thinking, well let's just study how how, how reasoning works and how the human mind works, and then see where does it go wrong and where does it work properly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's very interesting because the kinds of experiments that you were just describing are the ones that people refer to in social psychology, for example, yep. to say that humans are mostly irrational. And there are there's that huge literature on biases yep. and heuristics. I I think that there are more than one hundred biases or something like that. I mean, it, it's a huge list. And also since we're talking about since we're focusing on morality and ethics, there's also, for example, coming from the work of Jonathan Haidt, moral dumb funding, where people are presented with scenario that they have to evaluate from a moral perspective and then I mean they have they sort of have this intuition and then they come up with explanations as to why a particular behavior is morally wrong but it seems that nowadays that position of humans being mostly rational is being challenged and it seems that even certain biases like the confirmation bias are more rational than we thought.
1: Yeah, um, I uh, I agree, I agree. Uh, um, So I think, I mean, I think the whole heuristics and biases stuff and and kind of doing empirical research to determine where people deviate from um, perfect rationality, right? Where people behave in instrumentally irrational ways or where people behave in epistemically irrational ways. I think that's a great research program that has generated many interesting questions and produced many interesting results. But I think, as you said, it now becomes increasingly clear that the strongest claims or the most spectacular claims, perhaps, that were made in this research tradition are probably false. So the idea that humans are sort of fundamentally irrational, I think, can can, can no longer be defended in light of the actual evidence. It's true that people behave irrationally. And we, I mean, we know that. That's just just common sense, right? We know that people behave irrationally more often than we'd like, right? Right. Yeah. Um, People are bad. People have weak will, uh, and people believe what they want to believe rather than what's true, and um, and so on and so on. People find it very difficult to change their mind, right? Mm -hmm. But not just about moral beliefs. I mean, they, they find it very difficult to change their moral beliefs. But they find it very difficult to change any kind of belief, right? And you, and, 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 and you, uh, uh, it, it almost never happens. But that's, again, not a problem that's particular to, to moral beliefs and moral judgments. It's just a feature of how, um, um, how the mind works. Um, so there are well-known instances of irrational self-sabotaging behavior, and we would maybe like to see less of that. But people are capable of of behaving rationally mm-hmm. uh, plus many uh, well plus much, much of the evidence that people have used to support this people are irrational line mm-hmm. um, well um, a lot of this stuff doesn't replicate that's one thing right, right. Um, a lot of these studies just just cannot be re- re- reproduced by other scientists. Um, in many cases y- you are trapping people in these studies in in just very unfamiliar situations that have nothing to do with everyday decision making and then it's i mean it may be true that people behave irrationally in these contexts but it's also not very interesting right we want people to be able to behave rationally in the in the actual world that they live in and the fact that you can trick people into into violating certain axioms of probability theory and rational decision making in very bizarre circumstances, maybe correct, but it's 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 not very it's not not very surprising and 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 not very um, um, problematic for um, for our life. And in many cases, also um, these experiments they just have been you know misinterpreted. It's just if you look at it a certain way, uh, what people are doing is perfectly rational, right? Um you, you mentioned confirmation bias, uh which is which is this tendency to, to look for evidence that confirms our beliefs rather than evidence that undermines our beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um and and that in in many cases we 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 are excessively in, in in search of confirmation, and it would be good for us if we were more willing to revise our beliefs. I think that's certainly true. But it's not like Um, wanting to confirm your beliefs when you talk to other people that disagree with you is a fundamentally irrational um, thing to do. It's a perfectly fine division of labor that I defend what I believe, you defend what you believe, and then a third person that listens to us can make up their own mind, right? I made the best case for what I think is true, you made the best case for what you think is true in a kind of adversarial system almost. And, and then the people who listen in, to, in on that conversation, they can use that evidence that was presented to them and make up their own minds. So, when you look at many of these biases from a social perspective, they turn out to be, you know, perfectly fine uh, ways for people to behave.
0: Yeah. So, I asked you about the anti-rationalist challenge. What yeah. is the emotionist challenge?
1: Well… <clears throat> um it's a complementary complementary claim uh a, 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 a claim that is sort of friendly to the anti rationalist challenge so on the one hand moral psychologists have tried to show that um social psychologists um try to show that reasoning doesn't really influence our moral beliefs mm-hmm. um but then it you know it remains an interesting question well what 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 is the basis of our moral beliefs right mm-hmm. And many people have tried to basically revive a, a, a kind of human sentimentalist picture of what the foundation of moral thinking is and saying that, well, it's, it's, a, it's all about feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people's emotions are what their moral judgments are based on. Some people even said that people's moral judgments are their moral emotions, right? It's just that that you know, having more a certain feeling of disapprobation is the judgment.
0: Um it's it sort also of uh, similar to that metaphor of the elephant and the man, right? That Jonathan yeah, White yeah, uh, uses and I think comes from David Hume originally.
1: Uh, I'm actually not sure whether that metaphor comes from Hume. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean Hume well, has his, I, I, I referenced Hume because I
0: think that's the uh, the philosopher Hyde points to in yeah. his book the rational mind. Absolutely,
1: and, and 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 certainly, and certainly, that metaphor is a nice way of, of um, um, illustrating um, a Hume-ian, um account of moral judgment. I mean, and and Hume has this famous quote that. Um, um, reason can, can can never 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 pretend to any other office than 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 to be the slave of the passions right mm-hmm. so the passions yeah. and feelings and emotions they rule uh, and reasoning is just it 's just you know um, in, in in service to to those passions and feelings and that 's what both the anti rationalists like to say, but also the emotionists or the senti- or the, the sentimentalists in um, in in empirically informed um, metaethics, and there's all sorts of evidence for that. Uh, you can you can you can do experiments where you manipulate people's emotions, and then you hope that you can thereby change their moral beliefs. Or you look at what happens when you um, remove people's emotions. Maybe you can you can you can you can you can you can, you can, you can alter their brain with um, maybe transcranial um, magnetic stimulation, or you look at people that have brain damage. Uh, and have difficulty feeling certain emotions, or have very flat emotions, or you look at psychopaths, uh, 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 and so on, and so on. So, you, uh, and 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 you try to determine the the impact of 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 feeling on on moral beliefs. Mm-hmm. And now, again, in the first round of this debate, say 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, uh, in the first round of this debate, it seemed that this the case for sentimentalism. So the idea that our moral beliefs are ultimately based on emotion and emotion only, the case for sentimentalism seemed pretty strong. There was all this evidence from social psychology where people were able to show, it seemed at the time that they were able to show that if we change people's emotions, we change people's moral beliefs. But a lot of that evidence, again, um, has taken huge blows. And and much of that evidence can, cannot be used with the same confidence anymore. Again, some of these studies um, were basically in ground zero of the replication crisis. And if you, I don't know if you, you know, people try to hypnotize people to make them feel disgusted when they read a word, and that was supposed to alter their moral judgment. Or you make people, you prime people with thoughts about cleanliness, or you put them in a dirty environment behind a dirty desk or something like that. And you were hoping that you could change people's moral beliefs by priming their disgust or priming their affective um, um, reactions in a certain way. And much of this stuff doesn't replicate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at any rate, usually um, you get these effects only with certain subgroups of people, people that are very easily disgusted, for instance, um, or... um, you, you you almost never really get very large effect sizes, right? So it's just an overstatement to say that when you discuss people and then you make them complete a moral judgment task, you change their mind, right? Sometimes you have like, you know, a scale from one to a hundred and people are supposed to say, yeah, if, you, if I give you this story, um, do you think that on a scale of one to a hundred, do you think that's, you know, very wrong or, or perfectly fine? And maybe maybe the control group says that it's, It's fine so they give it like a 10 out of 100 and the people that you did the manipulation with um, um, they say it's you know 20 out of 100 but of course that's not a very strong effect and you're not really changing people's minds so um, a lot again a lot of that evidence nowadays Mm -hmm. um, doesn't really support the sentimentalist case as clearly as people thought it supported it, and the story with 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 um, with psychopaths and people who who have um, emotional um, deprivations mm-hmm. or you know uh, un, an untypical um, um, emotional life. Um, many of these studies also don't support the sentimentalist case as clearly as people thought they would.
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned disgust, and that's interesting because that's, for example, one of the things that uh, Hyde explores in his work when yeah. it comes to things like uh, regarding the Moral Foundation theory, sanctity, yeah. purity. Uh, I mean, does Moral foundations theory have some sort of implications for how we think about uh, human morality from a philosophical perspective, because I mean, if we follow the metaphor that Hyde uses of the taste buds, and that we have five different taste buds, in that case, it would be care, arm, respect for authority, sanctity, purity, and so on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, does that have any important implications for moral philosophy?
1: Um, well. Potentially, yes. I think the implications that Hyde suggests um, don't really work. So, I mean, what, he, what he's trying to say is that we have these five or six moral foundations. Yeah. And more recently, I think it's been, it's, it, it's six. Yeah,
0: the, he, he had liberty because of the libertarians, yes. I yeah, guess. Yeah. They even
1: had like a kind of challenge, a kind of almost like an award. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to give you $10,000, uh, I think, or was it a 1000 I don't know. Um, if you can come up with a new um, um, foundation, and then and then people submitted stuff. They said, nah, that doesn't count." Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being uncharitable here, but but kind of that's not what. But but now it's six foundations, and of course this is supposed to explain uh, um, the moral basis of political disagreements. Ultimately, right? So yeah. you you see this very strong divide between what in the U.S. context is called liberals and and conservatives, and the idea was that. Um, liberal psychology focuses exclusively on just basically two of the six foundations and libertarians are even worse they only focus on one yeah liberty yeah right, precisely and 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 they and they and they disregard or, un, or under appreciate the remaining moral foundations and conservatives that was that's the story that that uh that we get conservatives have just a wider richer menu of moral foundations that they draw on. So the suggestion that, that, was, that was implicit in this whole picture was that it's kind of liberals' fault for, for um, refusing to um, appreciate the full richness of moral foundations and moral life, right? And it's up to liberals now to meet conservatives halfway. Because they are sort of, they are creating the disagreement, right? The liberals are obstructing mutual understanding because they refuse to acknowledge certain moral foundations that conservatives think are um, are important as well.
0: Yeah, like, for example, loyalty to the group, respect right.
1: for authority and sanctity slash purity. Right, right, right. So it's almost like liberals are, are selective psychopaths, right? Psychopaths don't care about any, mor- any morality, and liberals don't care about um, community values and purity and so on and so on. And they only care about not harming other people and not committing injustice. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but I think that whole suggestion doesn't follow from um, um, from the picture. You don't get any sort of normative results from from this moral foundation's explanation of, of, of political divides. It could also be that conservatives are just mistaken about, about morality, right? And they get all... And they, and, and they are excessively moralizing uh, purity concerns and so on, that are none of their business, right? It could be what you do in your bedroom, say, right? It's up to you, right? Uh, uh, and ha- just has no moral relevance. So, so we, we, may, we may as well uh, um, um, say that. And it's also, there's al- in, in moral foundations theory, there's always this suggestion that it's sort of, uh, it almost comes down to, um, well, to a large extent, where you fall on the political spectrum is, um, is basically a matter of genes, right? Yeah. Um, much of this is due to heritable differences in people's um, attitudes, in how easily disgusted people are in how, how, how susceptible to authority they are and so on and so on, how, how strong their empathy is. These are all differences that at least to, 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 to an important extent are heritable. So it's kind of like, you know, some people are like this and some people are like that. But I don't think, in the end, that's really true. You also see that um, when you you know that people who are more cognitively able, I mean, it's very roughly speaking, more cognitively able and better informed, they tend to lean towards the liberal side. Yeah. Um, so it's not, not it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not just arbitrary. Um, um, on, on, on which side of the political spectrum you fall so I don't think i I, I don't really think you get the kinds of moral political impli- um, implications from this model that people like Haidt um, wanted to have
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think that I also introduced the question here because since you mentioned we were talking about uh, emotions and the emotionist challenge I guess yeah. that particularly uh, Putting on the table the metaphor that Height uses of the elephant and the man, it, it would also go along with the emotionist challenge that basically most of people's judge, moral judgments are based on emotion.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and the moral foundation theory just says um, um, yeah, our, our main moral foundations are ultimately grounded in emotional dispositions, right? Mm-hmm so the care foundation the care harm foundation is grounded in empathy um and the um and the um community foundation is grounded in 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 in, in loyalty and a desire to conform or, or 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 whatever um and the purity foundation is grounded in disgust mm-hmm. and so, so you get this you get this correspondence between the moral foundations and the 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 um affective dispositions that these are grounded in and in turn, these affective dispositions, they are part of our psychology because having these dispositions solves a certain kind of adaptive challenge. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, right. Basically, we, we, we have this moral mind because, uh, because of the kind of being we are uh, and because our, our ancestors back in the day... Um, evolved to have these dispositions as one way of sorting out human cooperation in small groups. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where we get these emotions from. So we are very good at um, empathizing with people that are close to us, that we know, that are related to us. We are um, very, very easily disgusted by by rotten food and and also by social deviants, by, by By um, um, sexual practices that we're not familiar with, and so on and so on. That's 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 something that we're very easily disgusted by, and there is some kind of evolutionary rationale for um, why why our mind functions this way. Uh, And I mean, much of this is plausible, um, but again, I don't think the the, anything sort of um, um, there isn't really like a direct route to 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 certain types of moral implications um, from that.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, there's another pair of arguments that I would like to ask you about. Uh, I I think that we can talk about them together. If not, please tell me. But uh, there's the argument from agreement and the argument from disagreement in moral philosophy. So what is each of them about?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the argument from disagreement is perhaps the most natural way for people to say that morality is relative to culture, right, it, and different, different societies have different values. They just say that, look, people disagree about what's right or wrong, mm-hmm. therefore um, morality is relative to culture, right. We see that in this place they believe this, and in this place they believe something else, and this shows that morality has no universal basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's one way of, of of challenging moral realism. Again, the realists say that there are just are certain moral facts and maybe, either you get them right or you get them wrong, right? And mm-hmm. if I believe that X is morally right and you believe that Y is morally right, um, then one of us is right and one of us is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So on the realist account, disagreement means that you know some people hold true beliefs and some people hold false beliefs. But for relativists, that's not true. There is no objective fact of the matter. And the fact that people disagree about about morality shows that um, it's ultimately just uh, uh, custom is king and 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 moral codes are relative to cultures and societies or maybe even individuals. Um, so that's the argument from disagreement. And um, um, the argument from agreement um, is 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 um, just a flip side of that, um, which is, and it, it flips the whole thing around, right? So there are um, there are quite a few moral realists who just say that, well, no, actually there is no moral disagreement, and that's and so, and so and so that's how we defend um, moral realism, or moral realists say, oh no no, uh, moral realism doesn't require that people agree on morality mm-hmm. right yeah. but the argument from agreement combines these two moves and says actually we can arrive at the same anti-realist conclusion in meta-ethics mm-hmm. by saying that actually people do agree about moral values mm-hmm. contrary to what the traditional argument from disagreement um, supposes uh, people do agree fundamentally about what their moral values are, yeah. but that 's bad news for moral realism rather than good news right mm-hmm. so most people think that if realism is true, then people should come to a consensus about what morality requires. We should see moral convergence between people and cultures and and historical eras, but we don 't see that, and that 's according to realists to many realists that 's a problem for the realist position. Um, mm-hmm. I think the opposite fact is a problem. I think um, if, we, if we see agreement about, about, about anything, if, if we, if, I mean, if we see widespread agreement about any domain, that uh, is a problem for a realist account of that domain. And the reason for that is that usually what you find when there is an objective realm of facts physical facts, or biological facts, or, 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 or fa- fa- facts about chemistry, or, 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 or economics, uh, or whatever, or psychology, what you see is that there is an enormous amount of disagreement, at least between a tiny group of experts mm-hmm. and the rest of, 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 non, of society of non-experts who have silly and outdated beliefs about, about physics and chemistry and psychology and economics. Right so, when you see widespread agreement on something in all of society and when you see no difference basically between experts and um and and non experts that's a problem for realism and um, uh, according to the argument from agreement, that's exactly what we find in ethics um, there is basically no no disagreement on fundamental values also the so-called ethical experts, they don't hold any values that are unfamiliar to, to the rest of, um, of, of, of the world, that are, that are unfamiliar to lay people. And the, the, the best explanation, I think, for that is that um, there are these objective moral facts that some people study very meticulously, such that after a, certain, um, after a while they come up with highly counterintuitive and specialized theories that no one else in society ends up believing so once you have so if it's true that we find fundamental agreement on moral values mm-hmm. and we don't find any disagreement between people who hold highly counterintuitive moral theories that are very different from what lay people believe as we see it in physics for instance right mm-hmm. No one has any idea about, you know, I mean, the overwhelming majority of people has no idea about um, the the relationship between special relativity and general relativity or something like that, right? These are highly counterintuitive theories that no one else believes. And in many cases, the vast majority of people positively believes the opposite of these theories, right? They have a very, very naive view of of the universe. Uh, And the same holds for any... Scientific I mean,
0: I guess that most of science
1: is counterintuitive. Yes, I think so. I think so. Um, so it's a bad sign when you see that even the ethical experts, even the moral philosophers, they don't ha- they don't hold fundamentally different beliefs from um, um, from people. Um, and I mean, you can you you just just ask yourself how radical moral disagreements could be, right? So in science, for instance, you see oh, – take, take the example of cosmology again, right? So there is a sort of modern cosmology that physicists in, 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 in universities do and, that they, and, and, and the, you know, the theories that they develop in, in, in that field. And it's very, very counterintuitive, right? Lay people have no idea what that is, and it would be, it would be far beyond, beyond uh, um, 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 the understanding of the vast majority of people. Sure. But now imagine all the kinds of crazy and bizarre beliefs that people today, and also in history, used to hold about cosmology. Right? Some people think that the origin of the universe is in, in this immaterial, all-powerful, om- omniscient, divine entity. Some people think that you know, the universe is cyclical. Some people think that the universe was created by a giant cosmic spider, right? Like sort of natural religions. And there's just, just, just an, an, a, 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 a vast space of disagreement about cosmology. But we don't find anything remotely like that in ethics, right? Yeah. We basically find that people have the same two or three Fundamental theories about what matters in ethics, and there's enormous overlap between these theories, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, consequentialists and deontologists and virtue ethicists and divine command theorists and so on and so on—they all agree that you shouldn't skin babies alive, right? Mm-hmm. There's no there's no disagreement on that. Um, um, so, when you compare how radical disagreement about about what's morally required, required could be. For instance, when you compare it to how radical disagreements in cosmology actually are, you see that the amount of agreement you find about ethical questions is really quite, quite large, right? Mm-hmm. And the disagreements that you find, in almost all cases, they come down to either disagreements about empirical facts yeah. or um, um, I think very important, a very important factor is that people disagree not about which values they are, but they just have different priorities about these values. Some people value compassion more. Some people value individual accomplishment more. Some people value community more. Some people value, you know, your individuality uh, more. But there's no society. There, there are no societies that have no idea what the other society is talking about, right? Mm-hmm. They, are, they 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 just assign somewhat different weights to otherwise shared values. So I think that's a problem for um, for um, realism realist- in, 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 in in metaethics. Is that we see much more agreement about ethics than we see in any other in any other discipline where pe- where we know that people study objective facts. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I understand. So, uh, and now talking about another aspect of your work, and you have an entire book dedicated to this, what is the educated intuition's account of morality? Right.
1: Um, and, uh, um, um, I think that um, it's not a problem for our moral judgments if, um, if, if many of them are intuitive and automatic, if mm-hmm. e- even, e- even almost all of them. Are intuitive and automatic, and the reason for that is that um, moral reasoning, sort of system two deliberation, can feed back into our automatic intuitive moral judgments. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not that, these into these moral intuitions. They don't they don't fall from the sky, right? Yeah. They they come from somewhere, and in many cases, our um, moral moral intuitions are automatic responses that uh, that are habitualized forms of earlier moral reasoning. Um, So there's there's, there's a kind of education that happens with our moral intuitions. And the reason why these intuitions are not these irrational, um, brute reactions is that... um, a system two conscious reasoning shapes our system one intuitions in in, in, in many, many important ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that's a ubiquitous phenomenon. And I think that applies to moral cognition um, as well. And it applies to other forms of cogn- uh, cognition too. But I think it's it's, 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 it's one important... Um, I think it, it, it sort of increasingly even turns out that that type of view, and I'm not the only one who holds that view, but mm-hmm. that, that, that type of view that... Um, our intuitions are shaped by learning processes. That that's the that that, that is where reason comes into the picture. That's that the, the, the influence of, of reasoning on our moral beliefs is mostly by 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 educating our moral intuitions and by shaping them in um, in, in, in subtle ways. Uh, and the fact that we don't that you know conscious reasoning. Um, doesn 't make a big difference to our moral beliefs a lot of the time isn 't such a huge problem anymore when you adopt this educated intuitions perspective because what what you, you see the influence of reasoning in in shaping our automatic intuitions rather than in conscious reasoning producing these intuitions from scratch
0: mm-hmm. yeah I understand and since we 're talking about. Uh, how we educate our moral intuitions basically. Uh, one thing just popped into my mind that is, um, yeah, uh, okay, so w- w- we have these moral intuitions, and yeah. then for example, if we learn philosophy, maybe we shape them a little bit uh, rationally. Uh, I, I mean, I was just thinking that. Since most people uh, don't even have contact with these ideas coming from philosophy, or if they have, I mean, it's just through some years in school and then they don't care about it anymore, they just sort of put it aside, couldn't it be that at least some of these ideas that philosophers have for example, in metaethics and so on, that uh, these uh, are, I mean, these are things that only philosophers and also from an historical perspective think about and maybe common people, let's say, if If you ask them, they simply come up with an answer on the spot or they simply repeat what other people say. And so, I mean, uh, when, for example, some philosophers claim that, okay, so to answer this particular moral question, this is what we have to care about or what people care about or what people think, that perhaps... What most people think would differ significantly from our philosophers'
1: approach? Questions. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, moral progress is slow, right? Mm-hmm. And for any, for any given generation, you have only a tiny group of people that holds somewhat better beliefs than the majority, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, but then in the next generation... The majority will have moved somewhat closer mm-hmm. towards the beliefs of that tiny elite, because that that tiny elite they tend to be intellectuals, professors, and so on and so on. So, comparatively speaking, somewhat more influential people, and so they they make a tiny difference to what the next generation believes. It used to be that you know only a tiny group of people um, um, believed that. You know, all human beings are equal and deserve equal rights. It used to be that only a tiny group of people thought that um, uh, um, the subjection of women was a bad idea and an immoral um, social practice. And it just takes an enormous amount of time until these um, beliefs that are held by a tiny minority of especially um, intellectually advanced people I want to say Mm -hmm. until these beliefs trickle down into the rest um, um, of society, and so likewise, what what, what, I mean I'm not saying you know philosophers or or other intellectuals are always right, uh, but I think that there are some sources of error that you don't fall prey to as easily as the majority of people if you. If all you do all day is think about stuff and read books and talk to other people, right? it's just a social institution that's designed to, as, 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 as well as it can be, weed out certain errors. So the resulting view of that tiny group of people will be somewhat better than the rest of society. Um, but these are also the people that teach the rest of society. Right. And right. so very, very slowly, I mean, frustratingly slowly, these types of beliefs will, 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 will make um, an increasing difference to, to the beliefs that more and more people hold, right? Mm-hmm. And it may be that, you know, today philosophers hold crazy beliefs, like you shouldn't, uh, um, uh, like, I don't know, factory farming is indefensible, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a very significant extent, that's an idea that's pretty recent and that has that that's been made popular by philosophers. Right? Mm-hmm. And philosophers keep making that point. Um, and you see that that view is gaining popularity because it used to be a very, very, very radical idea, but it's not a radical idea anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows plenty of vegetarians and vegans. Um, mm-hmm. Right. People may not be vegetarians, and they and they may disagree with that, but it's 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 certainly a, a, a sort of mainstreamish um, a position today, and that's and that's and that's and that's because of this dynamic mm-hmm. of um, people just seeing that well, you know, this stuff, a, a factory farming and so on and so on, just isn't defensible, um, and, and and over time that kind of view um, trickles down to um, to the rest of society.
0: Yeah. So I have one final question and since you touched on moral progress, my final question is about that. So I mean recently, particularly with books by Steven Pinker like The Better Angels of Our Nature and Enlightenment Now more recently, people have been talking about a lot a lot about how our morality progressed over time and how we are uh, better now than we were uh, a hundred years back, a million years ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, and things like that. Uh, and there are people like, for example, f- uh, even foundations like like Gapminder and Our World in Data that really give yeah. us hard data on moral progress over time. But what does progress mean exactly? Because someone could say, okay, that's just morality or moral values changing over time, but that uh, it doesn't correspond to progress or regress, it's just change. So, the, the, what is moral progress and does it really exist?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think, it, I, think it uh, I think I think it exists. I think I think there are many examples for moral progress. Um, that it, it would it it would be very painful to, ref- to to sort of say, oh no, that's just random change,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, we've mentioned, you know, uh, um, if racism is going down, sexism is going down. Um, uh, uh, so societies are become more peaceful, are becoming more peaceful and less violent, uh, and so on and so on. And I, I I would I would I, I have not seen an argument that I found convincing that I should not be confident in believing that these things are improvements. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could be you could you could be a nihilist again and say that well I don't I don't think there is such a thing as 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 as, 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 as good and bad. Um, you know, but I haven't seen a very convincing argument for that either. Um, so I, th- I i think I think people don't really believe that themselves um, uh, that's sort of like an inte- intellectual position that they that they that they allow themselves to to claim but they don't really believe that everyone makes decisions between better and worse both for their own lives for the lives of the people they care about and for society uh, in general and like I said I think there is a surprisingly high degree of convergence and agreement on what these standards and criteria are and in light of these standards we see that moral progress is happening and I I think we can be optimistic that it that it it will continue if we don't screw it up Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I I, I, I'm, I'm I'm not extremely I'm not keeping myself extremely busy with definitional questions so when you ask me, what's moral progress, I'm just going to say, well, I, you know, I, the, I think that's just, you know, when things get better in a moral sense of the term, in a, in a, in a, in a moral sense of better. Uh, and that's 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 how I use that concept. Right. So 50 years ago, this is what we did. Now, this is what we do. And I think that's an improvement. That's what I mean by moral progress. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I think I think. Often we pretend, or those people who try to argue that, well, it's just random change. Mm-hmm. They pretend, and so, you know, we used to do it this way. Now we do it this way. But there's no, there's sort of, there's no objective foundation again, mm-hmm. in light of which we could say, oh, that was an improvement, or that was, um, that was things getting worse.
0: Yeah.
1: I think what people pretend is that we sort of we have no moral system right and then we come to the table and we and and people offer us this way of doing things or this way of doing things and we just pick between them arbitrarily right but that's not the situation that we're in right the situation that we're in is we actually used to do things a certain way Mm -hmm. and then we came up with a way that we found preferable to that way of doing things, right? <laughs> so um, it's just not true that we are in a situation of making an arbitrary pick between two alternatives uh, uh, and we have no measuring stick to compare them in terms of quality. <clears throat> we have made that comparison mm. and we found that we think one version is better than the other, right? Yeah. So it's almost like, it, it's, it's, it's not like nowadays... We, um, um, you know, uh, 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 so, so, again, uh, use an analogy from science, perhaps, and scientific progress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not like the, the, it's not like the comparison between current physics and physics 500 years ago was arbitrary, right? right. We used to have physics 500 years ago, and then new evidence came in. And we and and we develop the new physics out of that, but it's not it's it, it, it's not it's not it's not a a live choice between these two systems anymore. That that debate has already happened, and there was one winner. Sure, right, um, and and that, that's how I'm inclined to think about moral progress. So I'm not convinced that it's random change because it's not random, right? We used to do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> now we do things in a different way, but that's not arbitrary. It's be- it's, we, we, we do things in a different way because we have come to be convinced that certain things make no sense, that certain ways of treating minorities or women or, uh, um, or children or animals are not justifiable. And that's why we live a certain way now. So there's been, there's been an actual debate. There's been an actual contest, if you wish, and, and, and one winner emerged. And and, and this, this random change view just isn't plausible in light of what actually happened.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, just one follow-up to that, uh, yeah. because this came to my mind now. Um, so in terms of, uh, does moral progress mean that people over time became more moral? I mean, let me see if I can articulate yeah. this yeah. better. So... Uh, I I was just thinking that maybe people think that because we now respect more some rights, for example, that we became more attuned to certain moral considerations, for example. But at at the same time, uh, there's an argument to be made that probably many atrocities throughout history were based on uh, also moral approaches or at least moral justifications. Like, for example, when very easy example is uh, the Inquisition, the Crusades, even Nazis had a moral argument behind their behavior. I mean, it was because they were... Uh, victims of injustice by Jews, by the West, by whatever. So, I mean, there's also sort of a connection between morality and people committing atrocities, sometimes at least.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. I think, to, to, to a large extent, what makes people skeptical towards the idea of moral progress... Mm -hmm. is that they think, well, people don't really get better,
0: yeah,
1: right? And Mm -hmm. there is something to that thought. Um, So first of all, I think that um, the fabric of society can tear apart. I basically think that there is nothing that really guarantees that a Holocaust won't happen again. Mm-hmm. uh once you get certain groups of people in in uh, into positions of power, the rest of society will conform so i think certain certain forms of atrocities and certain forms of regress they they they, they are always a possibility and they remain a possibility that 's one thing that i 'm happy to concede i don 't think these things are likely to happen i think they were never likely um and and, and it was a, a hugely unfortunate development also that the social conditions emerged under which such a thing became possible um, but it, it it does remain a possibility right and if i mean if we if, if we've learned anything from the past years is that no one has any idea what the future will bring right <laughs> Some yeah. some some crazy stuff went down over the past <laughs> Uh, five years, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> one so You would have no idea, right, what happens to society. Okay, so I think we must, we must remain vigilant when it comes to that. Um, so that's one sense in which people don't improve, is that certain forms of regress remain a possibility. Uh, unlikely, but possible. Um, second of all, it's also plausible that, well, people's psychologies, people's individual psychologies don't really get better over time, right? There is some sense in which each generation is sort of the first generation, yeah. right? You, 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 you squeeze new people into the world, and they are just as good or bad as the previous generation, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's true as well. Now, here's why I think that overall, this view that people don't get better is still incorrect. And the reason for that is moral progress doesn't happen in individual psychologies. It happens in in our culture and in our institutions and our psychology is our culture right Mm -hmm. mostly um, the way we think and behave and 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 what makes us tick and the things we care about is shaped or even determined by these external social structures practices skills institutions and this cultural reservoir of uh, uh, our cultural heritage, right? And that's what that's what our psychology is, to a large extent. We are cultural beings, and we, uh, the content of of our cognition and 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 our psychology, is what we learn from 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 from, from what we download from our culture, right? And so, in that sense, we do improve, right? Because moral progress, these moral gains, they are stored in external cultural institutions and accomplishments, and we, and each new generation downloads the next improvement, the next stage of that um, um, of that process. And I think, uh, to, to the extent that our psychology's, our psychology just isn't about about our individual minds, right? It's mm-hmm. largely a cultural affair. And if moral progress is stored in there, you can say that, yes, it's true that, you know, each generation is the same kind of people, right? Mm -hmm. And we haven't changed much over the past centuries and and, and millennia. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, evidently, our cultural institutions have changed quite a bit. And since that plays such an important role for how we think and how we behave, um, I think it's still... I'll ultimately correct to say that people do become better because the culture that's so important for them uh, undergoes these improvements
0: mm-hmm. so uh, could we say that morality at least partially is a social a socio-cultural phenomenon
1: yes i would say that yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm 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 quite i mean i mean i mean uh, m- maybe some people are going to gasp but i'm quite hegelian about that Right? I don't think morality is about like your individual conscience or the categorical imperative. I think mor- morality is about, you know, objective institutions in the world that people live in.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and these institutions change, but not randomly. They typically the, 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 the direction of change is biased, I think, in a direction of, of moral improvement.
0: Yeah. OK, so let's end the interview here. Just before we go, Hanno, could you tell us where people can find you on the Internet and your work, of course?
1: Right. Uh, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think the best way of uh, uh, um, you, you, can, you can find um, publications on Papers. That's usually the best way. I mean, I have a department, I have a website uh, at the Department uh, of the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands, uh, um, uh, that's where you can find my work but I think Philpapers is probably the best resource because it updates automatically and you can find my books on Amazon
0: Okay, great so I will be leaving links to your work in the description box of the yeah, interview and Heno, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show as I said at the beginning and it was yeah. really fun to talk to you
1: Yeah, likewise, It was it was my pleasure
0: Hello everybody thank you for watching this interview until the end I've started this channel back in February 2018 and have been putting out regular interviews with academics and intellectuals from a variety of fields. So to keep the channel sustainable, I would like to ask you to consider making a pledge on Patreon. I have the link in the description box or on PayPal. You can also find the links there. And uh, otherwise, and if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like and hit the subscription button. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my main patrons and supporters on PayPal, Karen Litzke Anne Blanchett, Perroga Larson, Lau Guerrero, Francis Ford, and fredrik Sunde Ricardo Vladimiro, Craig Healy, Adam Kessel, Olaf Alex, Jonathan Bissell, David Diaz, Anian Kata, Jacob Klinkby, Matthew Whittingbird, Arnold Wolf. Tim Hollacy, Enrique Alenius, John Connors, Paulina Barron, Philip Forrest Connolly, Jerry Mueller, Herbert Guintes, Ruth Garboz, Bo Weingart, Rebecca Newberger Goldstein, Dan Demetrio, Robert uh, Rui Inacio, Arthur Coe, Zup, Marco Neves, Max Bailey, Colin Holbrook, Susan Pinker, Thomas Trumbull, Bernardo Seixas, Paulo Santurbano, Simon Columbus, Jorge Spinha. Phil Cavana, Corey Clark, Mark Blythe, Roberto Inguanzo, Michael Stormer, Eric Neumann, Samuel Andreev, Tiago Nunes, Ber- Bernard Yugni, Alexander Dunbauer, Omari Hickson, Felicia Stevens, Fergal Kussen, Evan Bodrenko, Al Herzog, Nuno Machado, Don Ross, João Alves da Silva, Jonathan Leibrand, Oslam Bullitt, Nathan Nguyen, Staten T, Samuel Correa, Eric heinz Mark Smith, J.W., João Eira, Tom Hummel, David Sloan Wilson, yasila Deza Araújo, Ethan Solon, Romain roch Dmitry Grigoriev, and Diego Londonio Correa, my producers, Izar Weber, Jim Frank, Lucas Stafiniak, Ian Gilligan, Sergio Quadriano, Luiz Caetano, Matthew Lavender, Tom Van Curtis Dixon, João Linhares, Benedict Muller, Vega Giddy, Sardas Friends, and Niruban Balachandran, and my executive producers, Michel Rogieski, Rosie, and James Pratt. Thank you for all.